Can I say I won't give it up? The interrogation begins. I was not there. <laughs> you plead the fifth. <laughs> Always plead um, the plead fifth. Plead the fifth in the, in the container <laughs> beverage, please. Three rocks. Uh, Holly Pyle, cheers. Cheers. Nice to see you. It's, Likewise. It's been a long time. Yeah, my hair is, you know, quite a bit quite longer. Quite a bit. I I remember the the Bob. Oh my god. Holly. The blonde one or the brown one? The brown one. Okay. That's what I really remember. Fair. You're letting it go. I know. You're really accepting this West Coast uh, LA thing, I Actually, think. this outfit feels um I got some white huge Nike's for my birthday. And, uh, it's very LA. I'm still adjusting to these shoes. Like it's a different walk. You don't tie the laces. Oh, um, yeah. All these things that you don't know uh, growing up yeah. in Phoenix. Unspoken rules. Baggier clothes when you go west. Baggier clothes. Baggier clothes, bigger shoes. Um, just let everything flow out. Flow outward. outward. Yeah. 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 Well, you're embracing it. Yeah. And it, it's good. Looks good on you. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Um, Holly Pyle. I mean, I, we've worked together now uh, a number of years um, with Live from Laurel Canyon. And I happen to know um, some of your background. Fair. I know that you are a native. Yeah. And your family has a, a bit of history here. Yeah, there's some pile shit around town. There's piles of shit? <laughs> yeah. That's a terrible joke. I apologize. That was. I swear to God. I swear to God. This podcast is not <laughs> just shitty puns. Oh, shitty. Oh God. Okay. Oh man, man. Uh, off to a rough start. No. Yeah. Um, I'll edit all this out later. Don't worry. <laughs> it's a laxative start. So. <laughs> um, the the history though is is pretty fascinating. Do you can you tell me just a little bit about it? Like, uh, so yeah, a few generations. I'm like what third third or fourth generation Arizona. Yeah. So um, mom's side not so much. She moved from Minnesota at eight. Whatever. Big yeah. family though. Okay. Dad's side, um, one of my great somethings founded the first Baptist church in Arizona. Whoa. Um, and then my great uncle was governor here in the fifties. Whoa. Um, yeah. So both my parents met in high school. I went to the same high school that they met, had the same history teacher. I was just going to say any teachers that had yeah. carried over. Um, he was eventually fired and escorted for um, being drunk on campus, which not surprising. He's, I feel like he had the legacy of the drunk history teacher throughout his entire <laughs> tenure there. Um, but so, it finally caught up with him. Yeah. Really yeah. just the centerpiece of a whole family, you know, as really? this drunk history teacher. Okay. Yeah. Oh, he, oh I see. The, 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 the same history teacher. Is the linchpin to, to this whole yeah. situation. Mr. Yeah. Erickson. Man, yeah, I know. That guy knew how to throw down, though. I got an A in his class because I drew a picture of his basset hound. So, you know. You know what? And that's how we're here today. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And so you grew up here, a native... You went, uh, which high school did you go to? Cortez. Cortez. The Alice Cooper High School. Oh, no shit. Yeah. That's where he went. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I would assume, well, maybe your dad was is younger than, um, yes, your, your dad must be younger than he's, Alice uh, He's class, yeah, younger. He's class of 75. Okay. Yeah. Which, you know, is right around that Laurel Canyon time. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It, it's all going to come back to Laurel Canyon, unfortunately. Of course. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Um, all right, so you grew up here, and then I did a little research too. You I'm did not, research. I, I, I'm not just I'm not just some podcast hack. Okay, <laughs> okay. I take this uh, uh, moderate to moderately severely. Uh, I mean, I've I've noticed seriously. I've noticed that you do research. You know, I can I have, tell by how you host shows. Well, and look at I have uh, this is a very professional setup. I have coasters for your various beverages. Yeah, more than one coaster for more than one beverage. Because I know what I, you know, you know my friends. We have mutual <laughs> friends. So we need multiple coasters. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> um, so I did a little research. So you got your Bachelor of Science up at NAU. Mm -hmm. Bachelor of Science and Bachelor of Arts. At the same time, this is what I didn't understand. Yeah, so um, I, I went there to study opera. And when I started... I tried jazz choir and I liked it. And my teacher was like, wait a minute, don't, you can't, you can't do both. You mm. need to choose. And I was like, well, I'm not an opera singer. So let me just, let me just choose jazz, which meant I needed to change my performance degree to just a general music degree. Mm. 
general degrees need a minor. So I had to choose a minor and I was like, psychology, I love that. Cool. Great. And then when you look at the difference between a minor and a major, it's like five classes. Right. So I was right. like, if I just add five more classes, I can get two degrees. But I thought this, the BA was from ASU. No. Then your Facebook is totally. What the hell? Totally fucked. That's weird. I've never written about ASU. Uh, well, and maybe <laughs> I, I, I did smoke some math earlier. Hey, it's fair, you know. But it's, I it's thought it said syllables. a BS from NAU and a BA from ASU. Hmm. Did I did I smoke too much meth today? Yeah. Maybe I did. Yeah, so it was all at the same university. All at the same time. Yes. So, so it took five years to get two degrees. Wow. You were hustling. Yeah. But, I mean, it's like, it's just you're taking five extra classes. Right. It looks fancy. Right. It's not fancy. It's just classwork. And, all right, so you're up at NEU for five years. Mm-hmm. When did, oh, but I, now I want to go back a little bit. Okay, okay, okay. Can you share some early musical memories? Like, was there music in the crib? Like, w- 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 did they love certain records? Like, when were you inspired? When did you find your voice? Like, these sorts of, like, early developmental musical moments. Early box, cool. Yeah. Okay, um... Ma, both parents were into 93.3, so a lot of classic rock. That was Love a it. steady background. Yeah. Dad also liked country, has a very country-ish kind of voice going on. Okay. He is a, a glazer, so he installs glass on shower doors and buildings. So anytime I would go to work with him or tag along, his big truck full of glass, like those big yeah, glass yeah, trucks, yeah. he has those. No of. shit. So we just listened to 93.3, Howard Stern, yeah. country music. Um, so that was one vibe. My mom was straight up 93.3 all the time. Also had Bonnie Raitt, Enya, and um, Jerry Riopel was like some of her yes. main list. So Jerry Riopel loved that growing up. Yeah. Big fan. Great music. Yeah. Um, so parents wise. And my mom um, happened to have an organ. Okay. So she played, she played like two songs on this organ, but she really didn't play. Um, and then my babysitter had a piano. So I taught myself how to play piano and organ by ear. And what year? Roughly? I was like five when I started teaching myself piano. Okay. And I could tell from early on that I could hear well and mm-hmm. be able to hear something and be able to replay it on the piano mm-hmm. without any training. And so I didn't start actually getting any training. I started choir at like age nine, but school choir. Right. People just whisper the whole time and then you look like an idiot. But right. um, I started. When you can actually sing. Yeah, but you're not allowed to let people know that you kind of sing because <laughs> then you're a loser. <laughs> And that is like, that's how you survive is to not stick out. Anyway, yeah, long, don't put just, yourself, don't put yourself no. out too far. No, no. Listen, no. you're already in choir. There's already going to be an issue. <laughs> it's a the, group of people. Right. Be a group. Yeah. Right, so right. <laughs> whatever. Um, so I started actually training um, piano and voice in high school. And mm-hmm. I started taking operatic voice lessons in high school around 14 for a number of years. And I had a, my high school choir teacher was actually a doctorate organ player so he taught me just a couple years of piano Mm -hmm. um and i thought that the only thing i could do after high school college wise that was music related was to study classical voice and that was why i got into the opera program Mm -hmm. um but listening wise i loved mariah carey and alicia keys and alanis morissette and Mm -hmm. cheryl crow and i also loved grunge music and i loved like like i listened to some metallica and pantera and um Alice in Chains and Soundgarden. And so there's like a very eclectic background. Um, but yeah, also I had a phase where I was listening to classic music, classical music in my spare time when I was 12. And I would mm. just listen to the classical radio station mm. and watch Golden Girls. I don't know. It's a weird Whoa. combination. but Very eclectic. Very strange. Um, so that's kind of the upbringing. And the first time that I felt like, oh my God, I would love to sing on a stage was I attended a Catholic church from age three to 18. And there was one singer in the church choir. She was a senior citizen, even watching her sing, but she was so present in the way that she sang her church solos. Hmm. And I loved how present she was in the way she performed. I was like, wow, I want to do that. That's amazing. And um, that image of the way she sang stuck with me. Hmm. Um, And so to this day, I I feel like that's still kind of what I gravitate towards as far as how to hold the stage is... Mm -hmm the sense of being very present with every moment. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even know if she knows that she had that influence, but I sang in church choir with her years later for like five years or so. 
a lot of choir background, if anything. Yeah. So the looping kind of makes sense when you think of it that way. And that's obviously another big uh, question of mine. Um, but I need to walk this through. So you kind of had, you know, you had the influence of um, your parents' music, what was played on the radio, and some various bands. You were actively singing at a young age. Um, do you have any siblings? One brother, not musical, but... And he, is he older? He's older. But yeah. that was where the metal grunge influence came from. Because see, that's, this is fascinating to me because I have two older brothers. And that changed the music that I was listening to. Um, so when you were describing all those bands, I was like, whoa, there's a, there's a leap there. Right. You that's know? not, you don't just stumble upon that by yourself right. as a young little, little girl. <laughs> so, so the influence of your brother yeah. introduced, because you're also a little bit younger than me. So, uh, well, like a year or two, probably, um, <laughs> <laughs> just a, just like all right, maybe 18 maybe, months. Maybe. Yeah. But, that grunge stuff for me, the Allison Chain, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, um, Smashing Pumpkins, that was when I was 17. Yeah. You know, and that was like prime testosterone angst moment. And yeah. I can't, like, like, so when you were listening, that, I was like, Wait a what minute. was happening in all these life? And that was around, um, that was around like age 9, 10 that I yeah. started listening to that stuff, which yeah. is. Like now, when I imagine a nine-year-old listening to that, I'm like, right. no, right. Who, who who parented that kid that right. let them listen to this? But right. when you're actually nine, you'd be surprised at the stuff you listen to. Or oh, I watched yeah. Exorcist when I was eight. Like it's yeah. kind of like kids are fine. Yeah, really. everything's gonna be fine. Okay. Um. So okay, good. That that answers one of one of the riddles of this whole thing for me. Brother, of course. Brother, older brother. Of yes. Course. Um. All right. So you know, you're up and you're up in flag. You come back to Phoenix to do what? Uh, to avoid music. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the college environment, right? You, you learn a lot about theory and all of the details of music history and all of that's It's great. Great. But then it also feels like the standard is there's a box and you do well by fitting into the box. Mm -hmm. But also when you kind of imagine, okay, how does this transfer into a business of performing? It's not just singing. It's not just the technical stuff. It's the marketing. It's, right. it's the personality savvy. It's like having yourself out and about and mm -hmm. having all of the resilience to do that. And I felt like a super introvert and the idea of running myself as a business felt unbearable mm -hmm. and it was very much like a bitterness like i i resented the idea that this was what you needed to do to be successful in music and i wanted to no know part of it the marketing bit the, yes. the, the self-promotion the it didn't feel authentic because right. when and that's another frustrating thing about studying music is that you get this pretentious vibe mm. and you're like oh well like this upper echelon of music is so like so much higher and people are doing this pop music and just mm. what trash and you have all of these like mm -hmm. pretension judgment things because you're so excited about learning things that mm -hmm. you're holding identity about it and um the idea of stepping down to sing pop music just seems so disappointing and mm. it's laughable at this juncture because i sing pop music more than any other genre and it's humbling. Mm. It's not easy. Yeah. And it's, it's and it not, pays the bills, right? I right, mean, right. But it's so much more than that. And I mean, it's like, there's a whole learning curve of when you first start music, simple, simple, cause you don't know anything. And then you start to learn things and you're just obsessed with things being complicated. But when you go beyond that and you learn even more, you realize how priceless and timeless the simple version is. Mm -hmm. And Pop is that. I mean, Sting talks about how much reverence he has for pop. That You have to find something profound and you have to put it on three chords. Right. That's not as easy as you think. Yeah. I mean, storytelling requires this beautiful showcase of a, of a prime center and making sure that everything properly orbits that. That's not easy mm. at all. And, and you found that academia didn't really prepare you no uh, I, I mean, mean for performance i mean for business right for business at all um and if anything actually i had to go to a different coach after college to relearn how to sing mm. because i my techniques were were for opera they mm. weren't for contemporary music and mm. 
it is two different techniques, which yeah. is really frustrating when no one tells you that. So right. I quit music for three years and I did everything but. Mm. Um, there's bartending. There was like an insurance job, um, a coffee shop, guitar center. Um, I think that was the first time that I met Adam Armijo. Was that a no guitar shit. center? Ah, so he's awesome. like, yeah, I remember you at the desk. You know, I'm like, yeah, crazy, <laughs> man. Here we are on a stage, you know, so. Um, even Matt Goodman, I first met him at Guitar Center. Which um, one? In Scottsdale? In Tempe. Okay. So I lived there for a minute. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Is this early 2000s? This was 2011. Okay. Yeah. Part of the reason why I moved to Phoenix was to get away from music. And we've talked about that. And you're yeah. like, well, I tried, but you know, it just doesn't ever it, let you go for too long. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I think it's it's interesting that... that um, that, that you shared that, you know, you, you get out of this program, you spend five years working on this craft and this technique and this skill and knowing the whys in the house. And then you get out and you think, well, I'm not prepared to do this, you know, which is crazy. Um, I, I'm sure part of the frustration is, is that this education system gets dated very mm -hmm, quickly because right. a lot of the people that are successful are just on this very creative cusp and it's very much a numbers game. And the second you try to put it into a structural lesson strategy, mm -hmm. it's our, some other trend has already started for mm -hmm. success. I mean. And technology is changing like every year. Yeah. You know, and how people, as you say, how people market themselves. Now people are marketing themselves and getting record deals through TikTok. Yeah. You know, so this is whole, that we can't even keep up with. How can a college keep up with the technology of the day and have someone, you know, like a professor that would, would teach TikTok marketing or whatever? Like, but this is what we need. Yeah. You know, I don't know. No, I, marketing would benefit in that kind of program tremendously. The one thing I would say about marketing is that younger generations are so comfortable with social media. I feel like when when we were coming through this thing, Social media was this new concept, this new idea. Can we use it to promote gigs? Is this, you know, do we even need a website if we have a Facebook page? Like, yeah. do you direct people to Instagram? Do I create one minute Instagram videos because that's the format where you don't need the IGTV thing? You know, there's all, yep. and this shit is shifting and changing every year. Um, but the benefit of, of I think, being in, in a younger generation is that they've just grown up with this shit. Right, yeah. so their concept of what technology is is changing in real time. It's way easier to assimilate. Yeah, right, because they grew up on it, and yeah. and and but you know, for an old cat like me, it's like TikTok, really. Okay, yeah, you know, but um, it's just it's interesting to hear your academic uh, career and how and how your your academic career totally turned you off from. Oh, you know what? Music. I have a correction, real quick. I, f I didn't first meet Adam at Guitar Center. I first met him at NAU because we studied at NAU at the same, at the same time. At the same time. I just didn't actually really talk to him much. It was yes. more of like, hey, guitar player in the hallway. But, yeah. Um, I just remember wow, that we wow, both wow. went to NAU. But yeah. yeah, it was very, very brief. But um, yeah. Small world. Anyway. Funny, funny, tangents. funny. Yeah. Um, let's take a break. Well, I'm almost out of whiskey. You are out of whiskey. Look at you. Uh, take a little break okay. and then we'll come back at it. Perfect. In a day when we were friends I haven't seen him for a year or so I heard him in and out some stony goes Okay, so now you're, you're in Tempe. You're working some odd jobs. Yeah. And then what was that transition like back into music? So, um... I was working a few jobs at the time, Guitar Center and Cartel, Tempe. Oh, no, love Cartel. I know. Yeah. Yeah, I still wear their t-shirts, big fan. Yeah. Um, so I I also started, after Cartel, I went to work at a rehab clinic for juvenile delinquent kids, and they were both violence, misconduct, and sex offenders. And I was a youth care worker, and um, singing was a way to, uh, like they found out that I was into music or that I studied it. And they're like, oh, can you sing something? And it became a thing where I ended up singing every day at my job because honestly, it's, it's easier to keep 
um, rebellious kids distracted if you do this. So it was actually kind of incentivizing and they were super encouraging. And they're like, really? why are you here? Why are no you shit? auditioning for The Voice? Which you, yeah, that shit happens all the time. But I digress. So I actually did go and audition for The Voice because <laughs> of these kids. But the bigger picture was is that they were so encouraging that I was like, you know what? They, yeah, I do love this. How cool is that? It was so cool. They were such and good kids. Could you just paint the picture of what, like you'd go into work at, at nine and then you would what just start singing at some point oh i would go into work at like seven in the morning and you you wake up the kids you make sure they do all their stuff they you walk them to school you sit with them in their classes you walk them to lunch you and sit this with, is like a facility it's a 24 hour basically it's like a rehabilitated version of juvie so uh. it's it's a particular institution for kids that are sort of exceptions to the rule where they don't benefit from just being punished they need more assistance is kind of like a last resort for very particular kids so my job was basically to chaperone them through all of their day and to supervise them throughout their entire and how many kids did you have um my group was 12 kids but i mean there was a couple hundred in the facility got you and then every day you're kind of stationed to different kids Uh and then you kind of get a main set of kids so it was it was a cool i loved the job oh my god i learned so much that was like the most psychological job i've ever had and the therapist was like this Robin Williams character. And he was so smart. And I just learned so much shit from him. But in the context, like these kids have beds they sleep in alongside the school that's right next to the building. So everything's in the same facility. And you're helping them and they're sitting in their beds. And there's these group activities that they're waiting around for. And in those moments, they're like, yeah. hey, like... I heard you sing. Can you sing something? So I'd be in the halls. They'd be in these bedrooms. I would just, I would sing a song. And Okay, so it wasn't like structured. No, okay. not at all. Very informal. It was just more of like, they're bored. Right. And I'm there. And can you sing this pop tune or whatever? Yeah. They're like, oh, do you sing this? Do you sing this? What do you want to sing? Like, yeah. And it was just something, they're probably so bored. They have right. no technology. Right. They have nothing to do. They hate themselves. I mean, it's like, it's a really difficult space to be in. I can't even fucking imagine. Yeah, but I actually really loved that job. Um, The kids are, everyone wants to assume and label them as these like awful kids. They're like, they've done these horrible things, but they're kids. And it's like, what they actually need is for someone to believe that they're not what they think they are or what, they're not what everyone is saying that they are. Right, right. And that's actually so pervasive that people start to, and this is all psychological soapboxy things, but people very quickly identify with, with things that they've done mm-hmm. and it doesn't actually help you evolve. It just makes you sit in this like really uncomfortable pit of shame and it doesn't actually contribute anything. It doesn't make you happier. Mm-hmm. So this whole facility is meant to bring these kids into functional civilization to, to say, Hey, you can't function here and you don't need to be a criminal Right. To live a, to live your life, or that's not your identity. Exactly. Just shed that, and we're cool. Right. So yeah. it was a life changer just to kind of learn the principles. But the other part of this job was that you're teaching them how to have dreams, how to have a vision bigger than what they think. Right. And I have to learn how to teach it. And I'm sitting here like, yeah, like have dreams, and I'm like, but not me. I'm gonna just sit here and do this. So it was just like right. the hypocrisy was kind of ushering forward. And right. So the way I transitioned was I was working full time there at first. I would go and do jam sessions, and I would go to the Nash jam session. I would yeah. go to the Glendale jam session. I would just go to jam sessions. And I'm just hit me with a year just to put a frame on it. That was back in 2012, 2013-ish. So I graduated 2010. Around end of 2012, 2013 was when I started to go to jam sessions. Got you. And um, I was starting to network more. Around that time is when I met Shay. And he booked me on a gig where I sang with his band. And... Uh, I well, based, uh, uh, Lucky Devils? No. No, uh, Lucky Devils was years after that. If okay. anything, that's like a whole tangent story, but Lucky Devils started because he was trying to help me get gigs for singing at weddings and he stumbled upon Lucky Devils trying to get involved with Phoenix because no they're an international company. Right, right. And so he like hacked into their online database and um, basically like put himself on their showcase 
And last minute, Chris Pena actually had to like get a sub. So he kind of came in and he already stalked the CEO and he's like, hey, like you need somebody to do this and I can do this. And so then he would book me on the wedding gigs after he put himself in the booking position. You're not the first person to relay this story, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And... um. Oh my God. I think it was Dan Lovelock. Dan Lovelock, probably. Yeah, I think it was Dan Lovelock. Because also the first time I met Dan Lovelock was at the first Lucky Devil showcase that I went to. And okay. we were both we were both singing that night and we'd never met before. Yeah. And um I think he I think he was the one that relayed that story. Yeah, but the shame hacked the system. He said it he said it a little differently though. He said he may or may not have it because there's no proof. No one knows. Yeah. We don't know. Well, you know, I applaud Shay is he does his research. He does his he has the tools to do the research. And he's got a panache about it. Yes. So I yes. he he, he really has a executed certain flair. it. Yes. Um so if anything also um right before I had met Shay besides the jam sessions I also was trying to um go to open mics. Mm. Whatever opportunity to perform more cuz I was rusty. Mm. So it's like well I don't play guitar. I don't want to bring an 88 key keyboard to an open mic. Right. No one does that. Right. I don't blame them. And so I, um, I went and Cause bought. that was really your primary, your primary I instrument. Can, you could get it over. I could kind of play a little bit, but no one should, to this day, no one, no one should pay me to play piano. And that's totally fine. I, I've got triads and reposition. It's fine. We're not going to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> no, but I went and bought a loop station in order to go to open mics. This is fascinating to me. It was it, to loop your vocal to be to be a soloist. Yes, and to accompany yourself because I couldn't play accompanying instruments in the context of an open mic otherwise. And you didn't know anyone that was like, "Yeah, I'll go play." Uh, I didn't want to ask. I felt I felt guilty. Like, oh, I don't want to like. It's, that, it's, that it's nice, an open mic. It's and a you, nice Catholic upbringing. I don't know. But here's the other thing about open mics. And I mean, I don't know how many open mics you've been to. I can't even like how long ago was that? Like, okay. okay. You know, enough about my age, I'm but just I'm just kidding. saying like, you've been a professional for a long time <laughs> and to not have anyone know you yet. Yeah. When you, tough. when you show up, you have to wait like an hour and a half or two hours to oh, sing yeah. your two songs. Yeah. So it's one thing to be like, Hey man, can you come play something for me? It's another thing to be like, Hey, can you come with me and wait? For this amount of time, right. where we have no idea how long that is, it's a it's yeah. a it's a bigger ask. Yeah. So I did I didn't even want to begin to ask. So Loop Station actually seemed more viable, and um, actually that was how I met you for the first time at the TCA uh, showcase. Tempe. Yeah. Yep. So I um I would go to I would looked up every open mic in town, and I went to all of them, and yeah. I was trying to go almost daily to some kind of jam or some kind of jam session. It's Mike. a full-time job, by the way. Yes. This, so is I, what, this is what people, they think, you know, non-musicians, let's say, like, oh, you, you know, you just, you play music and you're like, okay, you know, I'm spending as many nights out as I can trying to network, trying to get my shit together. Branding. Yeah, that, that, that's totally right. I mean, if you, it's, it's really hard to do that in a new town because like you, as you say, you don't know anybody especially if you can't even accompany yourself, like where do you even fucking start? Uh, and you just, and, and, and I don't know about you, but I did not love those settings. No. I, I don't love an open mic. No, I don't either. They serve, they serve a purpose at a particular time. Get your confidence up. It's like going to a music gym. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the stage right. is like a music treadmill. Right. And, and everyone's, like, you can tell who's working out a lot. Right, right. Yeah, I mean it's a, it, anyway. It's it's an important step, and I yes. would go to Rula Bula uh, right when I got here. That's that's where I spent a lot of time. Um, but I didn't I didn't love that environment. I used it. I used it. You know, right. to network. It's a way to thicken your skin. Yeah. You know, you ha if you can't hang uh, in that scenario, you really have no business on a stage. You can't suck in public. You can't shine if you can't. Go up and, and 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 just bomb in front of complete strangers. <laughs> you are not you are not ready. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you're anyway. not going to grow very much. Yeah. So, um, one of the open mics I would go to was the TCA open mic, and yeah. I would go as many Wednesdays as I could. And the thing is, is you have to show up early just to sign up. To Way get a decent early. time. Yeah. It's, it's like no, they would like line up. Yes. You and know, I was one like of those people that would line up 
at yeah. like 4.30. It starts at 6. It starts at 6. Yeah, but And to you get probably the slide, hit you, at 7.30. Something. And if you if you hit at 9.30, no one's there. So right. you're like, I got to get that slot. Right. And so I brought my, my two pedal. It's like the RC20. Yeah. So you have to like clamp your hand down with weight to press the button to start. Because it's not a button. It's like a pedal with your foot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wasn't using it as a foot pedal. I was using my hand on a music oh stand. Oh, my God. By the way, I have the RC20. Yeah, That's no, it's what, it's totally functional. Yeah, um, it's super linear though. Yeah, and it's not very forgiving. No, you know, no. like loopers today, they'll quantize the shit out of it. And I I I've never had the quantizing access inside mm. of. But I love honestly though the most humbling moment of my entire learning of music was learning how to loop my voice because yeah. you have to be accountable for every single beat, every single sound, every single chord member this is what i'm saying it's linear in the sense that once you start this fucking train if you fuck up you have to bag the whole thing it's gonna be repeated for eternity to be fair with loop technique as long as you get the first loop perfect you can recover how do you do it can you peel you you can't peel back how do you peel back on there oh wait hold on are you gonna blow my fuck there's an undo function are you fucking with me i'm not fucking with you I'm dead serious. No. See, so the way that I would make the RC20 add just a little texture is like you can do two different channels, right? You can have your default set. You can add layers to it and you can undo those layers and redo those layers. I forget how to do it on the RC20, but you can do it on the RC20. See, this is a great example of how fucking lazy I am. I've owned that oh, maybe 15 years and thought, if only I could undo the last loop I just did. And it's possible? Yes. God damn it! So with the undo thing, it's not. it would take more than the last loop off. It's whenever you started playing, it's the beginning of the undo sequence. So let, let's say if you set up a drum beat and you were singing for a while, and then you added some more shit, and you're like, yeah. oh, I messed up the third one. If you pressed undo, it would take all the, the last ones that you just did off. Save the first one. The first one would stay. See, I did not know that. Yeah. So okay. what I would do in my initial arrangements is I would create, um, I would have like maybe a drum beat and then on the other channel I'd have the bass line and then I would add some chord tones on each, but I could undo them so I could come back to a simpler texture. So it would still sound like the loop progressions were engaging, even if I didn't have access to much engagement ability. You just blew my mind, Holly Powell. But when you buy the 505, it oh, takes yeah. it to a whole other level. Well, even, but the, that's, you know, I mean, yeah, I wasn't ready to see, you know, I got hip to looping um, after I moved here, probably 2004, I remember. And I want to come back to your your whole trajectory with that loop thing, because I've never, first of all, I don't know anyone on this planet that books solo gigs with the fucking loop station and just vocals. I mean, that, first of all, end of statement, that's very impressive. Thank you. To say the fucking least. I got hip, uh, I got hip to um, looping through Howie Day, who would, you should check it out. Okay, It's sure. very early, like 2004, like very early technology, but he would loop the guitar, play percussion on his thing, loop his vocals. It was... I mean, as a solo singer songwriter, I thought that's a tool that I should use, you know. So I get the RCE twenty, mm-hmm. and I'm fucking around with it, but it never like. I'm also super song centric, mm-hmm. and if it takes five minutes to get the fucking song off the ground, I'm not interested. Actually, it's funny you mentioned that. That was the first feedback I got about loop arranging. Mm. And the person who told me that was Walt Richardson. Yeah, he's like, "Hey, try to make your intro short." yeah right complete explosion and ever since then that little seed that he gave me yeah has informed every single loop arrangement that i make i'm like how short can i do this before i start this right i can do this other shit later right but if i can get that verse down within 30 seconds right yes to the audience the audience will be like thank you so much i don't want to hear every single piece before i hear lyrics well and and i think it's you know if you approach it as a texture and a tool and not the driving thing yes if it's still song centric i'll give you know most songs take 15 20 30 seconds to get off the ground any pop full band shit vocals come in compatible right yeah so 
if you approach it like that, I just got, you know, I just think that it, it, it can become distracting um, when literally it's it's three, four minutes in and, and and we're still banging on the guitar to get a drum beat and we're laying the bass down now. Now this and the, it's like, bro, I don't really have the fucking time. Can you just sing the song? I'd rather you just sing the exactly. fucking song. But this is where I think the difference is and that's if that is your instrument, that is your band, you are obviously allowed more time to develop this thing, you know, but anyway. Yeah. So it's a matter of when, right? Cause to avoid that, like, Hey man, I'm exhausted. Like I, it's like, well, and, it, and, and I feel like it, it starts to become old. Yes. It, it, it's, um, I think if you use it as a texture, I'm, I'm saying this for me in a, in a solo guitar, uh, setting, I, if I use it as a texture, I feel better about it. I still will play a three-minute song, a two-minute song, Beatles song, whatever. But then some songs I'll stretch. But it's not every song mm-hmm. that this is a fucking thing, you know? Exactly. So, I don't know. I just... Well, first of all, what you do with it is very different than what I do with it. In fact, you know more about the RC20 than I do. I didn't even know you could fucking peel shit back. It's a great tool. Use it as a tool. And then, you know... The, the technology is not supposed to hide you. It's supposed mm-hmm. to enhance you. Right. So what, I think that's what you're saying is that use it as like um, as something auxiliary. Mm-hmm. Don't make it everything. Right. Um, and I think that's the same thing with music in general is that when you're in a song, it's about the song. It's not about you. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's like all the decisions that you make about writing the song is in service to the song. It's not about your ego. Right. So with looping, it's the same thing like... It does get a little. It did. It does get a little, for lack of a better way to say it, wankerish. It's like it's like, bro, quit, C- quit it. Yeah. You know, you've been soloing for five minutes over this one progression. We get it. You know. Yeah. Get to the fucking song. Right. Anyway. Well, exactly. Like, what textures are actually helping the song but, most of the time? But, but what you again? But what you are doing is very unique in the sense that that you you. That's how you accompany yourself, right? So you must have, and I, and I would assume that this is a skill that has developed over time. And I've seen a bunch of videos that you do, and they're fantastic. They, they're engaging. I, you know, I feel like you still stay true to the song. And it's not like you'll create a loop and let it run for 30 seconds. And you, know, you create the next layer and then you and then you're grooving and then you know it's, again yeah. it's da, 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 da. there it is 30 seconds in now we're going you know and i would i mean it's you know and it, it, it i'm i'm very impressed it's it's an impressive skill it's an impressive tool and you employ it in a way that is unique and from a very real uh you know from from a very tangible thing um you're hired just to do that, right? No band. You you said you have a four-hour gig coming up, just you and a fucking loop station. I mean, mm-hmm. that's really cool. Thank you. Well, fucking it is. I did buy a keyboard recently to add to the loop thing, and I think it actually makes a big difference because as cool, like, and it's, it's I don't want to call it a gimmick, but it's a niche thing to be like, hey, I can do this all a cappella, but... There is a certain line where an audience is like, you know what, like no matter what you do with your voice, I want just a little bit other texture to happen. Of course. And I respect that. And so the keyboard is kind of a way to be like, hey, I don't have to sing every bass line. I'm right. going to play this bass line. Right. Again, you're using these as tools. Yes. You have a little, maybe like a two octave thing where you can kick some bass on one tune. Maybe you have like a like a really simple drum machine that you use on a couple tunes. These someday. are all tools. I might, I might do the drum machine someday. I haven't got to that yet. So. Well, just a... That goes a long way. That's, yeah. And that's it. Or right. But don't know, like, spend a minute right. and 20 seconds setting up all the drum ingredients. Right. That's, but uh, having these different yeah. flavors to this thing, it, it's all going to expand the palette, right? I mean, I would be fucking terrified if someone said, okay, bring your RC20 and sing for four hours i'd be like that is not a get get here's holly's number call yeah her. no it's a lot of material because you have to memorize all of the chords and all the notes and all the sounds and all the voice right. leadings and all the right. lyrics for four hours right 
Um, so it's a lot of songs. So I have like five or six hours worth of looping arrangements wow. for that specific. Wow. Yeah. And um, it's nerve wracking to remember everything. Bananas. And no iPad with, with, with lyrics? I have the it's iPad. A, okay, okay. To- oh my God. Okay. If Jesus. you didn't have it, yeah. Whew. But it's, it's not, even if I have the notes in front of me, there's still the sense that your ear has to remember that sound. Mm-hmm. Like I can't just be like, oh, here's my instrument. I'm going to play that chord. Like my ear has right. to be like, I know exactly what that chord sounds like. And I know that this note's going to go to this note. And the sound right. of those notes moving is going to be this. Because you're building it. You're not building it in real in real time. My you're, hands you're, are not creating it. Right. I have to. You have to my go one to. note to the next note. And then know, or what's the interval there? Or this note. Yes. Okay. And this is how the interval is going to change. And then, yep. you know, geez Louise. It's uh, overwhelming sometimes. For oh sure. my God. Well, I'm glad you're doing it and not me. And definitely, I still mess up all the time. And I made a new arrangement for a festival last month. And I definitely messed it up both times that I performed it. So, you know, the humility is always available. Yes. Always available Every to month. be rediscovered. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I never forget because... <laughs> because it's always yeah it's always sitting on the stage with me yeah just waiting to remind me i will say though i've gotten faster at making arrangements than i used to i do some church gigs with looping and sometimes i'll make the arrangement the morning of the gig be like okay here's my voice leading i just need to show up and sight read those notes and hope that i do it accurately oh my god you have to hit the pitches you know yeah 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 and then I have to be like, I, those pitches go in this channel and then those channels will switch, you know? Right. So it's a, it's There's a whole involved. fucking thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not just like step on this pedal, step on that again, step on that again. Right. You're actively. Channel one is this. Channel two is this. Channel three shit, is. And you have to keep all that shit in your yes. brain. Jeez yeah. Louise. It's a, I it's thought fun. my life was. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's fun. It's a, it helps the musicianship stay afloat when you don't play instruments. Right. So. Right. Right. Let's, uh, I'm exhausted and I, now I want to bust out the RC 20 and see if I can. Yeah, man. Oh, I'm so dumb. I'm so lazy. Does it make you dumb or well, lazy? It makes me dumb and lazy. It makes me lum and daisy. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I can't believe that you can peel back the layers on the RC 20. Yeah. I feel completely useless. Which means that it gives you access to extra texture combinations. And I think that's where the looping shines is that. You don't have to just be encumbered by the same textures. You could be like, oh, how about just this little beat or the amplified version of the beat that has extra subdivisions. This would be great. Exactly. This this would be really wonderful. Yeah. How come we didn't have this podcast uh, 15 years ago? Sorry. You were. I do have some looping students. You were six years old. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No. God, what? You said 15 years ago? I was. I was. was, You you don't have to disclose your age. I know it's a. you know, some people, it's a touchy subject. Mm-hmm. I, you know. All right, let's take a break. This episode is brought to you by the Engstrom team. That's Becky, Carrie, and Kate. This is a mother-daughter real estate team with Coldwell Banker Realty. They've been selling houses in the Phoenix metro area for 25 years. What have you been doing the last 25 years? Are you a first-time home buyer? Do you need more space for your family? Do you wonder if this is the right time to sell? Just call Becky, Carrie, and Kate, and they'll walk you through the whole process. Call them at 480-250-1936 or find them online, engstromteam.com. That's E-N-G-S-T-R-O-M, team.com. What are you waiting for? Call them. Now, I've spoken to Garrison about this. How House of Stairs came together. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that was really your main your main project here in town. Totally. For, for, for many years. Yes. And um, if you could just maybe talk about um, that band and, you know, what it was trying to accomplish and... And, uh, you know, because you, you, you were able to really make some waves with that band, play some really nice stages here in town and, and definitely created a, a, um, a reputation. So maybe uh, a little bit about the inspiration for that and that journey for you. Totally. So there's the fast forward of uh, developing the jam session 
blah, 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 getting into some more performances and networking. And some of the networking that came out of jam sessions was Garrison and Steven. Mm -hmm. And they had seen me at the Nash doing jazz and they have jazz background. Mm -hmm. And so on their own tangent of conversation between the two of them jamming out, they're like, wow, like we would love to work with Holly Pyle. Like we've seen her doing singing stuff at the Nash and someone that has a jazz background. Mm -hmm. And by chance, I met them both separately and they both invited me to jam with them. And it was a magical jam. It was just, we hit it off right away. We were, yeah. we were instantly creating new things. Yeah. Um, we, we what all, was the early book like? I mean, the, Oh my gosh. I mean, I think we were doing just, we were doing jazz standards and jazz cover rearrangements. Right. So, um, you know, um, I think, I don't know if Rich Girl was on there to begin with or something, wow. but I mean, it was like a lot of jazz standards. But the thing was, is every time I would try to cold call getting gigs and be like, hey, I do this stuff. If you said jazz, they did not want to hire you. Mm -hmm. And it became very clear that if I were going to get hired to do restaurant gigs and try to find a way to leverage a full-time career, I needed to find a different angle. And luckily, Garrison and Steven were in the same exact position where all of us were like, we really want to get paid to perform. How mm. do we create something? It so happened that Garrison and Steven had a residency at the VIG mm. where them and a saxophone player would do jazz standards at the VIG mm -hmm. every week. It just so happened when the season restarted after Labor Day, um, their sax player couldn't make it that day and they needed a sub. And we had just a few jams together and I was like, hey, I, I can do it. I'm like, cool. Yeah, come on over and like do this gig and here's the roster of jazz standards and some pop things or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the management was like, we love vocals. We want to keep her. <laughs> and so because of the Wednesday VIG residency, every mm -hmm. Wednesday, we had the incentive to build a book mm -hmm. and we would get together every week and we would go over covers. We would jam originals. We, would, we were just building all this material. Mm -hmm. And I think our first original show was at like rogue bar and it was yeah. terrible like the sound situation did not work out very well and the thing was also i brought my loop station to every single rehearsal and so the loop station was able to integrate into the arrangement yeah. process so that yeah. i could put a backup vocal here and there or i could set up the intro here and there maybe i would just do a loop by myself sometimes or whatever the original songs we had the option of the loop station as an instrument and so we were building a band it, because of the fact that we had a residency to work mm -hmm, from mm -hmm. to incentivize that's always how it starts right yeah. you're like cool like we have this excuse with money to come right, together right right because you don't want to do the same set list every single week so you have to keep building right um it's great incentive build it quick. To, to, to make a band now yeah. we're a band we're not just three jammers you know three jammers three independents now we're going to be a band so yeah. what does that look like what is our sound and you kind of get paid to develop it, yeah. you know, and build the book and, and road test shit. Yeah. You know, that's incredible. And another thing I loved about this band was both Garrison and Steven are just natural born sponges and yeah. they're also extremely humble. And so the combination of that, and plus I, I mentioned the band Hiatus Coyote earlier. The reason why this band really started was because we all were mutually obsessed with this band. That's incredible. And so it was like, oh, that was like the like the password. Like, right. oh yeah, we, right. we have business working together. We all love this band. We all love Radiohead, which right. luckily, you know, Radiohead, that's Yeah. That's... There's always opportunities to do Radiohead cover shows. Yeah. <laughs> forever. As they should be done. Yes. Yeah. I digress. Yeah. So um and the other cool thing was I I had made original songs. I've been writing songs since I was fourteen, but um A I was new at it. B, I was insecure. There were times where I wanted to try and integrate originals when I would um, sing with, with Shay's band. And it was a jazz band. Yeah. And I'd be like, hey, here's my original song. That's got a pop structure. Right. And the bass player would be like, yeah, you'll figure it out. Right. And that right. feedback is like, that was a piece of shit. That's pretty yeah. much what that means. And I was like, wow, I what am I doing here? So I would show that same song to Garrison and Steven. And, and they'd, they'd be like, sweet. That's sick. Yeah. yeah, let's do that song. And I was like, uh. Are you serious? And all of a sudden yeah. they were so enabling. And yeah. all of a sudden I was like, I have all sorts of ideas. I want to explore all of these ideas. And, yeah. and so we were getting a, a momentum going of building new songs. And we started to do a Lost Leaf residency specifically to improvise a lot yeah. because we, I would record every single gig. Is and that right? Especially at Lost Leaf because we would improvise on purpose. 
And when we would do our rehearsals, we would always start rehearsals by jamming, improvising on purpose because we would stumble upon really cool things and then we could develop it and make it to a song. How can you just explain this to me? How do you conduct a band that is just going for it? So you usually have a starter and this is not like anything technical, but from what I've noticed in improvisation, you kind of say, hey, you start something. Some melodical. Something, whether it's a couple of chords, that pattern, whether it's a drum fill, that's just a consistent pattern. Um, sometimes, every once in a while, I would start it by just making a, a loop of some mm-hmm. kind that was just made up on the spot, which I didn't feel like I was always the best anchor because I didn't always know what chords I was making. And right. Garrison's ears, oh, incredible. Right. Yeah. So he's like, oh yeah, that sounds like this and you can do this many things with it. Right. Bless him. Yeah. I was like, thank you. Yeah. Um, or it would be like, I would start this idea and it would inspire him to do something else. So right. it's very much the the benefit of all of our background that we all went to college for jazz, right? right? So having that template meant that we learned a lot of language, which meant that the physical cue wasn't as much as hearing harmonic and rhythmic cues. Oh. And it's not oh. like knee body takes that to a whole other level where they actually have very sophisticated, like, hey, when you hear this, this sort right. of drum beat, that means do this. But that's right. not what I'm talking about here. It's more of that, it's very call response. Like right. you might hear a small motivic development here. Yeah. And what you do next is is do something very similar, but maybe slightly different to develop what he just did. Or you, you recapitulate a little bit of a drum fill in your voice melody. Right. And between that, what you're all doing is listening and also adding at the same Whoa. time. And so a lot of improvisation is all about that. And that's very much like a jazz philosophy. Yes, of course. Of performing is yeah. is building that skill set yeah. of listening and responding. Right. So it's it's very it's very labor intensive, but that's what we all loved as a band was being very present to every moment. Right. And when we wrote a song to not just do it the same way every time. Right. To let the moments change and interact with them. That's crazy. But from a songwriting angle, um, I started, this is a little bit of a tangent related to House of Stairs, but I started songwriting be like more seriously because I went to a holistic dentist and she, from scanning, it was holistic dentist. Don't just scan your mouth. It almost seems like some sort of Reiki scan, but she scanned my body and she's like, something happened to you 10 years ago and you've been disconnected ever since and you need to reconnect. And she recommended a meditation retreat which at the time I couldn't do because I was a carnivore and you have to be a vegetarian or you have to be willing to be vegetarian. Long story on that. That's a whole other thing. But um, I felt helpless. I'm like, well, I can't do this meditation retreat that this holistic dentist told me I need to do to reconnect to my body. So what I'm going to do. So (laughs) songwriting was my method of reconnecting to myself. And I had a whole history of being very disconnected from my experiences. So for me to write a song, is to take parts of my life and actually give them the space that they needed in the moment and catch up. Um, and Garrison and Steven were so facilitating in that, that very priority. Yeah. So we would do these songs and we had all these conversations about how to thoughtfully arrange the music to serve this connection message that I was trying to build. Um, and so all the songs are kind of depressing because they're, they're, they're provoked by things right. that I needed to connect to and process. Right. Right. Um, so my dad hates my music, which whatever he's, uh, he's living his life happily without my music. It's fine. Um, but it became like a product where we were standing for this idea of connecting and being present and putting it in the music and, um, probably the healthiest musical relationship creatively I've ever observed and been part of so to this day we're still a family and i wow. just adore them endlessly yeah. i mean ideally you know it's it's wanting to express in a language that's inclusive and mm-hmm. not something that tries to exclude people and mm-hmm. i think all three of us mutually felt that way about jazz that we wanted jazz to be something that felt like an inclusive experience and mm-hmm. so it's really exciting to see the cross sections between the jazz nature mm-hmm. and and pop sensibility. Right. Because, you know, people saw, uh, there's often some pretension with, with certain aspects of pop, but jazz also has, you know, an, an AABA structure, just as any other song often has some kind of form. Right. It's not as, as a detriment or as anything that's lacking, like that structure is so helpful. Um, and then pop just takes a lot of the sevenths out of the chords, you know, but. Right. Why do you think that, that, that jazz does have this aura of pretension to it. Why 
does jazz feel like this thing that if you're not in the club, if you don't have these records, if 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 the, you know, then you're not you're not hip. Or it's a whatever. it's a language barrier because yeah. when you think about um, think about I mean you have a whole learning curve of your own relationship to songwriting, right? So mm. you've gotten to a point where you've done so many songs that you've written that you have a very high respect for the art of songwriting. And mm. I mean, gosh, Laurel Canyon is a a pillar of demonstrating the yeah. beauty of songwriting. And right. it's not about how fancy it is, but it there is a skill set. Yeah. And it's there is a wisdom and a just the sacredness to the simplicity that people capture in the way that they have the hook and the mm -hmm. way that they lead to it. It's mm -hmm. the simplicity is surprisingly complicated. So if you, if you see someone that wrote a song for the first time and they're like, yeah, you know, like I just kind of made this up and I, I, I really miss my girlfriend. Right. And the hook is, I really miss you. You'd be like, dude, what are you, what are you fucking <laughs> talking about? Like, don't demean the art of songwriting with your <laughs> haggard, vague bullshit. So take that metric, right? Because yeah. you can, you know, there are a lot of shitty songs in the world. Yes. And you could dictate that by like, you didn't communicate anything visceral. It was just the first draft of the first amount of words you could think of, the first amount of feelings that weren't even that deep, that weren't even that well informed about the environment. So take that philosophy and put it on jazz, which meant that. They poured over all of the language that you could communicate in harmony. Similar metric. One of them is about the finesse of language and how you can master it to not just vomit words, rather artfully select words in a certain way to be very precise about your understanding of, of existing. Mm -hmm. Jazz does that with harmony. So it's not about being bombastic. It's actually about being very selective about color and for someone else, if they're like, oh, I heard the exact color and I'm going to play that back to you. They're like, wow, I felt seen. You communicated with me in the measure of language of harmony. So then you take someone who just does open mics that maybe knows two chords and they come to the jazz person like, cool, I've got my one five. The jazz chord person feels like, wow, I feel like you're, you're giving me kindergarten prose right now. Right. I can't really talk to you about all of these concepts I'm really excited about. You won't even understand what I'm saying. So the pretension comes from a sense of frustration of not feeling heard, of not feeling fully seen, of lacking intimacy in the relationship because this other person is not actually listening to all the depth and nuance of what they're telling them. So I'm not saying that to condone pretension, but I'm saying that I think that's the reason why there is such an exclusive culture behind jazz mm -hmm. because harmony is this revered language. Hmm. 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 Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the day, you can still be super deep with, with three chords. And that's the whole point. Another thought on that too, is that every genre has a different value system. And uh, in jazz, right. their primary value system is the, is the language of harmony. Mm -hmm. You might go into something more bossa nova or something Latin and groove would be their main. So you'll find pretension and groove. If mm -hmm. you don't have these certain bell patterns really down to a notch and you're kind of slopping over it, you're insulting the group that is worshiping pocket. Right. When you're when you're more in like a blues folk pocket, you're actually more about the poetry. Right. You don't want something too busy because you're like, wait a minute, I need to say this thing, and that thing needs to be honored. Why would you throw this? Well, and it's competing. Complicated. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. So if someone's trying to be all funky, and you're like, no, this is an intimate moment of poetry. Right. Then you'd be like, what, what's the hell? What are you doing? Right. Right. So You're not serving the song. Or whatever. Every genre has a priority. Yeah. So then, you know, right. then there's room for everybody because then you can just ask yourself, well, what do I care about? Cool. Then mm -hmm. you can ask, is what I'm doing serving my highest value instead mm -hmm. of being like, am I really good? I don't know. That doesn't really, that's not very informative. Right. Right. No one musical expression is better than the other. Exactly. Holly is releasing music under the name Hollow, spelled H-O-L-L-O-H. You can find out more on Spotify. This is her unreleased song called Gone.
last year was a was a big year for you. Yeah. A, a lot, lot happened. A lot happened. A lot of moving parts. Uh, moved to Los Angeles. Got married. <laughs> and 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 kind of started a new life in a new city in a new state. In the in the middle of a fucking pandemic. Yes. How? I mean. Can you can you even put into words how all that went down? Of course. Okay. Uh, well, I had anticipated moving before COVID even was a thing. Gotcha. Um, partly because the guy that I'm now married to already had plans to move to LA. And so he actually had moved January that year. Okay. And so we were doing a little bit of long distance. And I was that's like, that's why he was in that's why long, he the long beach show because yeah. he was living out there. Yeah. He was there. And so the plan I had was, okay, I'm going to move back with him with my mom and I'm going to save up money so that I can really do this move. Right. And mm-hmm. have all the resources to do this. Cause I'm terrified. Cause right. how do you afford an expensive city like this? I don't know. So, and have you, you never moved out of state? I mean, never, never. Lived, I've never been in Arizona my entire yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. And I was yeah. like, but, you know, what do you do? So, Pandemic hits in March, and I'm so fortunate that I was already trying to save up money. My mom's at that time because it's like, wow, I don't have to worry about paying rent when this industry disappeared overnight. Right. Cool. That being said, um, Seth's scenario was he had to move back to Arizona. Um, so we actually then were both in the pandemic living with my mom and she was so terrified of the, of Corona because she has lung cancer. So she's like, I can't leave the house. So I was like, okay, well this all works really nicely. I had already proposed um, to Seth in January. I proposed to him. So that ball was rolling. Very progressive. Well, you know, you know what you see, you see, you saw what you wanted. You wrote it on a post-it. You remember. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then you gave it to him and that was it. That was it. It was all set to go. Um, <laughs> we had planned to do the whole thing the following year. But once. This year. We were going to do that this year instead. Yeah. But by the time April, May, June hit, I was like, wait a minute. I actually don't even want to do a, a thing. I I don't, I don't want to have another big reception. I don't want to deal with the semantics of a second marriage with an audience. Like I just kind of wanted something that was just really simple, Quiet. bare bones. So yeah. got an Airbnb, went to Cave Creek, um, bada had, bing, bada had bang. three witnesses. We, we invited our bur- a barista from downtown to be a witness. <laughs> My, our, the dog was there. Like it was, it was Janet, cute. Janet was, she was the ring bearer. She, she was, of course she was. Um, the officiant's girlfriend was there. So she was the official Janet holder for anyway. So lovely, very yeah. happy about that. At that point, though, Seth was traveling to L.A. like once a month. And I was like, well, it's getting clear. We need to move out there because you're already trying to get some stuff done there. So we started apartment hunting, found a spot in Glendale and moved in August and just completely relocated. Wow. Luckily, um, inside of that time when when March hit, a friend of mine was doing content for TikTok. And she's like, hey, you know, maybe you should consider getting part of this program, they pay people to create educational videos and you could just create education content. I was like, that sounds really exciting. I haven't ever really made education videos, but that's cool. So all of a sudden I had a random contract with TikTok that paid me to create, um, I forget how many videos, but it was basically the equivalent of 40 bucks a video to make for a one minute video. I was like, yeah, really? yeah. With, was, you had a contract with TikTok. With TikTok, because it was a brand new program. They were yeah. they were trying, because it, it exploded. But yes. this was right oh, at I'm a sure. nice little cusp yeah. where it hadn't quite exploded to the same degree. So I was basically hired by TikTok to make education videos that have to be less than a minute. And all of a sudden then I'm I was- i sorry, what? Yeah. So I was like, cool, like this is my gig right now, I guess. So every day I was making education videos and I have like 30,000 followers on there now just making voice videos Jeez about technique. Um, and then that contract fell through after it finished and they were trying to say, hey, we'll do another contract, but this time we're only going to pay in advertising credits. And I was like, that's not incentivizing. For, mm-hmm. Because every time you make a video, it's kind of nerve wracking because mm-hmm. you're like, I hope, I hope that the things that I think about with my whole voice teaching doesn't offend someone. It's religious. Mm. Like people are like, Oh no, it's, it has to be this way. Mm-hmm. Super academic. And mm-hmm. my approach is not fully academic in nature. There's a lot of other pieces that I bring into it. So mm-hmm. anyway, so it was really cool though. Cause I ended up getting some new students. 
Um, I started working and teaching for PVCC. Everything was remote. So moving was fine because everything's remote. Cool. Right. Like nothing changes. So you, you made the transition over to, to Glendale um, and were able to keep a lot of the work alive yeah. that was happening online. Right. Right. Um, yeah. It's a very different life I'm living right now. So I've, I've been writing songs again because I have time and I've been drawing because I have time. And yes. I actually have an appointment tomorrow to convert stuff into actual like affordable prints. Oh, cool. So I want in. <laughs> I'm so glad. Come on. I don't want to like evangelize awkward pen abstract art on people's <laughs> walls. You know, that's like <laughs> your wall is a choice. <laughs> Um, you know, that's your a five minute guitar solo on your wall, man. Like I respect that, that a blank wall is beautiful. I so. feel like there's, there, you know, there's a lot of interesting bits in this place. You got an orange bird clock, you know, that's called the cuckoo clock. Oh, you know what? I forgot all about the name of that. You it's, know, it's a cuckoo clock. And it's, it's bird related. Uh, it makes bird sounds. Uh, maybe. Uh, yes. When, when it works, it does make a bird sound. But that's to remind me of my southwestern German heritage, which I have none of, by the way. Uh, but I just, I lived there, so it's... Your it's, poetic uh, German heritage. I'm emotionally connected to southwestern Germany. In You're emotionally German. Yes. Yes. Okay. Fucking Holly Pyle. Coming in here and fucking dropping knowledge. This, I appreciate that you. Psychoanalysis. Uh, thank you for hanging out with me. Thanks for having me. I mean, it's been too long. I'm looking forward to uh, to next year. I think that's the next time that Live from the World Cane is going to go out. It should be busting next year. But we have a we have a ball, and and I really love what you do, and I lo- I love what you bring to the, to the to the team. And uh, Lord knows we need a, a ladies' touch in that band because it's a lot a lot of dudes in that band. Literally, yeah. You know, yeah. So. It's it's not only a pleasure to uh, to hear you sing and work with you in that in that regard, but we just we need you. You know what I mean? Thanks, Brian. <laughs> Holly Pyle, everybody, where can uh, where can people find out what you're doing? Oh, jeez. Buy your artwork. Uh, um, watch think, your TikToks. Uh, yeah, I you know her Purr is is the handle, which is Holly her Purr. It's Holly Jane Pyle converted to. Herger, her. it came from that Erm my God meme thing that Ermigur. came out. Yeah, Herger, <laughs> okay, so, her. So, so f- people should find you on Instagram. I would say so. And like, I mean, technically, my website has the calendar of events, but oh. it's 2021, so it's more sparse than it used to be. Yeah. So Instagram, or you know, that kind of thing. Instagram, I think, is the most updated out of everything. Well, go there then, people, yeah. and and get hip and. uh Listen to very talented singer and songwriter and teacher, uh, dog mom, uh, wife. Uh, the list goes on and on. Thank you, Holly Pyle. And Thank I you. hope that we get to work together again very soon. Very, very soon. Okay.